Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. All right, we're going to hop in a time machine this morning. It is the year 1987. So for those of you who may have been there the first time around, who in here had big hair in 1987? Who in here had shoulder pads? Who in here was listening to this little thing they call the radio and Michael Jackson's bad was filling the airwaves constantly? In the 80s, there was glitz, there was glam, there was neon. And yet, while all of this exciting wonderfulness in culture was happening, there is a different story that is unfolding. In the midst of the vibrant 1980s, a silent epidemic was gripping the world. And we hear epidemic and we think about our experience with COVID, but no one was having this one in the news. No one was talking about it. And certainly no one was staying home to quarantine because of it. The human immunodeficiency virus, or HIV, and its resulting condition, acquired immunodeficiency syndrome, or AIDS. The progression of this disease and it most mildly would manifest in fever or fatigue. While more severe cases led to pneumonia, painful sores, infections, and tragically, in what is believed to be at least half of the cases at the time, death. At the time, the disease was not simply a medical crisis, but it was a social and cultural one, steeped in stigma, and misunderstanding of how it was acquired. Those affected by HIV AIDS faced not just the physical toll of the symptoms that were upon them, but the people in society who would back away or not look at them. Now, imagine yourself, not as big hair, but maybe shoulder pads, in the shoes of Princess Diana one of the most photographed and scrutinized figures of her time. Having married into the royal family, she juggles a full schedule of royal duties, including numerous charitable engagements, international travel of all sorts, and, as any of the parents in here will tell you, the demanding task of raising two young boys. And amidst her responsibilities, Diana is still finding her own unique voice within the royal family, often scrutinized for what she wears when she does a three-legged race at her son's field day, or even just the places that she would show up. But she was still figuring out how she was going to fit into the royal family. She was shaping her approach to philanthropy and public service. So in April of 1987, she goes to visit Middlesex Hospital in London. And she doesn't stop by the cancer ward. She doesn't go to the ICU. 
but she goes to the Broderick Ward. This particular section of the hospital was dedicated for caring, with, for, caring for individuals suffering from HIV AIDS, many of whom required round-the-clock care and attention. The patients in Broderick Ward were often gravely ill and confined to their beds. These patients did not receive the kind of care that others with separate diagnoses received. Their nurses felt the need to wear gloves, and their doctors maintained a cautious distance, sometimes only visiting to check in on them once or twice a day. You see, if you are hospitalized in 1987 with HIV AIDS, your doctor wasn't worried about curing you. They were making you comfortable. And then the princess walks in. And she's not there for a photo op or to look good or even to keep her distance. She is there to connect, to listen, and to bring a message of hope and humanity to those who need it most. And then she does something that shocked the patients in the ward and the rest of the world. She shakes her hands with a patient, and she doesn't wear gloves. And not only that, but because she's Princess Diana, she was photographed doing so. In a small moment of bravery, Princess Diana took what she knew to be true. She could not get infected with HIV AIDS by shaking hands with an infected patient. She took what she knew to be true and acted upon it. She didn't know it then, but the choice that she made that day would span and impact generations. Not that Princess Diana, in one handshake, reversed the way in which we treat people who have HIV AIDS, but she was a leading example of the ways in which we came to understand how we reach out to those that are sick. Today's story comes from another royal woman who married into her royal family, far different from her. And she herself was trying to find her unique approach to the crown. And she had to be brave enough to go against the societal norms. So our passage for today comes from the book of Esther. So as we do with Sunday school from my pre-K all the way up to my seniors in high school on Wednesday nights, let's figure out where we are in the Bible. So the book of Esther, is it in the Old Testament or the New? Old. Good. Does anybody know what type of book the book of Esther is? It's exactly what you think it is. It's a history book. It's, and why do we study things? Why do we study history? Why is it important? It repeats itself. It shows us the different ways in which, I would say, as theologians, God is moving in history. But it's important to know our history as we are the leaders of the present and the future. Now, does anyone know the fun fact about the book of Esther that is, does not share the fun fact with any other book in the Bible? Not that. Well, no, because Ruth is about a woman. Esther is the only book in the entire Bible that does not mention one important figure, God, Old Testament. G-O-D, 
You will not find it in the book of Esther. But is God moving in the story? Yes. The book of Esther is in the Old Testament, and it tells the story of a young Jewish girl who marries into the royal family. Now, I don't recommend this, kids, for our matchmaking services. She wins a beauty contest. It's not our most ideal thing. So if we want to be like Esther when we grow up, kind of, okay? Um, She wins a beauty contest. She is the most beautiful one in all the land. She is the memorable one the next morning. Um, She does not tell others that she is Jewish. This is with the Persian royal family which comes from the advice of her cousin, Mordecai. Mordecai is Esther's cousin, and he takes her in, and he raises her as his own, and he loves her very much. And it is clear in the story that he always wants what is best for her. Unfortunately, Mordecai's kindness is not appreciated by everyone. The king had a royal advisor whose name was Haman, and this guy had a huge ego problem. Haman, without the king knowing, decided that when he walked around, people should bow down to him. And he demanded this of everyone. And Mordecai is a good Jewish man, and he does not want to break the first two of the Ten Commandments. Does anybody remember the first two? There's only one God and no false gods, right? So bowing down to Haman, he would be breaking those first two of the Ten Commandments. And so Mordecai refuses to bow down. And Haman does not handle it very well. Um, He gets upset, and in his anger, instead of going after Mordecai personally, he decides that he is going to wipe out all of the Jewish people. Haman tries then to trick the king. The king ends up signing a royal decree that says... We are going to wipe out all of the Jewish people. But the way in which Haman does it is really um, sneaky and horrible. Um, He does the best trick in the book that some of us still use today. Because he goes to the king and he says, hey king, did you know that there are some people out there who are out to get you? Who knew that some people, y'all deal with some people at work, at school, some people were saying... Y'all didn't know that some people have been around since the Old Testament as well. And so the king is obviously furious. If there are some people out there to get him, he says, well, why don't we get rid of them? Seems obvious to me. So he signs a decree to wipe out all the Jewish people without knowing he's wiping out all the Jewish people. And then we get to our passage for today from chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. This is a message that Mordecai is giving to Esther, um, I like to picture it like they're at the city gates having this conversation. So this is what it says. Mordecai told them, this is messengers, to reply to Esther. Do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you've come to royal dignity for such a time as this. And then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, this is the capital city where they were, and hold a fast on my behalf. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day, and I and my maids will also fast as you do. 
After that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Now, Esther is one of those books that I don't think we should get our marital advice from either, because as the queen, she could not go into the king's royal court without an invitation. Do not treat your wives like this. That is not going to work for you. So Esther goes, risks her life, and invites the king to a banquet, has the banquet, and decides to invite the king to a banquet the next day. This rising action is leading up to this moment because Esther is holding on to this really simple truth of who the king is going to get rid of. And it is finally at that second banquet, she tells the king the truth about Haman's plot. That it is not true. But he also tells her that she herself is Jewish. And the king shows his love and loyalty to his wife while also being angry with Haman for tricking him and betraying him. So the king reverses the decree, does away with Haman, and Mordecai, Esther's cousin, is promoted and gets Haman's job. He gets to be a royal advisor in the court. G-O-D is never in that book. But do you think we can see the ways in which God is moving in that story? Yeah. Esther risked her life by going to the king and telling him the truth that she learned. She risked him learning of her true identity, and she could have lost all of her royal privileges. She instead used those privileges to save her people. This series we have titled, Why Does It Matter?, And we're looking at seemingly basic questions. Why does it matter? Why does going to church matter? Why follow Jesus? Esther's story is a great example of the question that we sometimes ask, what difference does it make? Part of me wonders how the story would have gone if Mordecai goes to Esther and says, this is what's going on, this is what you need to do. And Esther would have said, well, Mordecai, What's in it for me? Can I write off this bravery on next year's taxes? What do I get out of what I'm going to do for the people? What will they do for me after I free them? Sometimes we get up on question, we get hung up questioning what difference does it make? We are constantly confronted with the larger problems of the world and challenged to face them and we wonder what small dent we can make. We think that there is no impact that we can truly make when it comes to poverty, pollution, political divisiveness that impacts our social life, and the mistreatment of other people. We fear the social status that we might hand over by asking certain questions or telling the truth that we know in our hearts. So today, I invite you to reflect on the stories of two remarkable royal women, Queen Esther and Princess Diana. Despite their vastly different circumstances and challenges, both women demonstrated extraordinary courage and compassion by challenging the social norms and pushing and 
advocating for those who had been pushed aside. Esther risked her very own life to walk into a room, make a dinner, and tell the king to save the Jewish people from extinction, while Diana used her platform to raise awareness and advocate for those living with HIV-AIDS. Their actions serve as powerful reminders of the importance of standing up for what is right, even in the face of adversity. Both women themselves set aside incredible privilege, far more than any of us here. I don't know of anybody living in a palace. They set that privilege aside to do what is right. So perhaps there is someone that you need to reach out just to let them know you are thinking about them. Maybe a little bit more challenging. There might be somebody that is deserving of praise or a very loud compliment in front of everyone. And that person might not be easy to like or to love. Maybe there is something stirring in your heart that could make a large impact on our community if you would say something. But you have fear about what it might cost you to say it. Perhaps there is something that you need to do, one small action that you can take to make the world a better place that is just one gnat's eyelash out of your comfort zone. On Ash Wednesday, we were reminded of the incredible things that God can do with dust. In one of the creation stories, God takes the dust from the earth and it becomes this amoeba, but it is when God breathes life from God into the dust that it becomes what? A person. And I think humans are pretty incredible. So if that's what God can do with a couple of specks of dust. Imagine what God might be able to do with 10 seconds of bravery from you. Let us be inspired today by these two royal women and ask God to show us the truth, the humanity of others that is being ignored, the compassion that we must have even if it's not popular, and the right ways to speak or to act. You never know what sort of, I wrote ripple, but domino effect might come from one small act of bravery. Let's pray. God, today we come to you grateful for the story of Esther. We thank you for the example that she set of what it means to set aside privilege, to do what is right, to do what is right even for people that we cannot see. We thank you for the story of Princess Diana, who shows us that even small actions that we can take that are still unpopular can have a ripple effect. Help us to see the humanity in all we come across. Even those that our social circles might tell us to hate. God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would stir in us the bravery to speak or to act on what is right. We have faith 
of what you can do with even the smallest things. It's in your name that we pray and we ask these things. Amen. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.